Hey, good to be with you on this beautiful, sunny, amazing day for another Converge Takeout. Well, this week we're beginning a brand new series. It's a series that is really practical. It's a series that is going to be a lot of fun and just deals with everyday life, which is what we call the series. It's Everyday Theology, Reconnecting All of Life Back to Christ. And as much as I you know, want to use the big words, there's going to be no big words. I know, theology, like, you know, we get all nervous, but uh, there's no, going to be no fancy sentences. It's, we're just going to get this really plain and really simple. It's going to be a, a very practical series with broad topics like family, food, play, work, money, friends, church, neighborhood, all of that. Now, I know that each of those could be its own book. So, we're going to narrow our focus a little bit here in this series for the summer. Uh, think of it like this. Pretend we're going to talk about grocery stores. And uh, we walk into the grocery store and it's like, hey, let me tell you everything that's in here. Yeah, we're not going to do that, right? That would take forever. Way too much there. Well, let's just kind of see if we can narrow it down. So we kind of walk over to the produce section and then maybe we say, well, maybe we can narrow it down some more. Let's walk over to where the fruit is. And then we think, well... How about the apples? And then maybe I just pull up and say, let's talk about the Fuji apple, right? Let's, let's just get down to one thing. So that's what we're going to do in this series on everyday theology. We're going to narrow every topic down to one big idea. And basically it's this. We're going to explore how we remove the idea or the separation of the sacred and the secular. In other words, for all these topics we're going to talk about for the next few weeks, we're not going to... Um, we're going to look at how do we um, sometimes think of these things as uh, not connected to God or connected to Jesus or church. And uh, we just think of them as part of life. But in reality, all of life is connected to God. And so we want to reconnect everything back to him so that we find out that really everything we're going to talk about is sacred. So that's the series. That's what we're going to do. As followers of Jesus, uh, there are things that we might consider to be non-religious, but they really do matter to God in order for us to be healthy and holy. Uh, in addition, we want to just provide some real practical personal family discipling opportunities. And if you look in the app in the messages area, you will see where there is a place for sermon notes and, and song lists. And we're going to have some information every week in there that will coincide with the topics. Uh, this week, we are going to be talking about face-to-face -face connection. And uh, you can find that now. You can find that when you're done watching. And we want you to be able to have something in your hands every week that will help you with each topic. So let's dive into today's topic, the theology of family. Now, um, if you're like me, um, you probably have had moments where you can think of family as this real ideal situation. Even, even if your family is struggling, even if your family is uh, uh, going through some challenges, you might look at somebody else's family and go, wait, wait, uh, that, that family is the ideal family. How do I get their family, right? How do I sign up for that? Uh, there's this notion that there is an ideal family out there and we want that. Um, that's the way that life should ultimately be lived. I got to tell you that there is no such thing. I thought at one time in my life that I had had the ideal family. L let me explain. Let me tell you my story. 
in the early years, um, back even before I was born, um, my family, my my family where I grew up, um, at least for a while, got off to a really rocky start. My uh, they got married out of a pregnancy. Um, my father was accused of and actually did. Um, what, steal things, pilfer things, embezzle stuff from the company that he worked for. Uh, it forced them to have to move. Um, my biological father was, um, I know, involved in at least one affair. Um, I also think that the best I can tell as I've kind of looked into it recently, that there was probably a lot of abuse too. Um, I don't remember much, <laughs> actually, before I was seven. And I think that's part of why is that my brain has blocked out some of what I had to, to see, to witness when I was a really little guy. I grew up in a really re unfortunate circumstances, right? They was, it was by far not ideal. Um, it didn't start well, and everything about it just went from bad to worse. In fact, it got so bad that when I was just turned seven years old, my biological father, in a fit of rage and and an argument had to do with his affair and, and um, other stuff. He, uh, when he and my mom were both home, fortunately I was at school, he uh, killed her. He took her life. Um, so she goes to heaven and he ends up going to, to prison. At that point, my family changes. Now I've lost my biological parents. I've become basically orphaned or a ward of the court for a few years. Uh, then um, after, you know, as a part of that, part of my parents and, and um, uh, the, the ones I'm with now, um, the ones that I was with thought, oh, God, God's going to take care of everything. And, and God was there. But um, I was also found out that I had, and it was not diagnosed until just recently, attachment disorder type four. Um, it was a type of trauma that leaves you feeling distanced and detached that I am somehow self, self-sufficient. Like I've got to do this on my own. I've got to take the weight of the world on myself. And you tell yourself, I don't need others. And so I can become very independent and it leads you to be very self-reliant, like overly that. And so I dismiss or avoid really all my own real attachment needs for tenderness. And I overly rely on my self-regulation and so I, I don't really respond to emotional intimacy well, or didn't. Um, and so there was just stuff going on, all the trauma, and, uh, all that stuff was just a problem. And so somehow all of that in me boiled up to this need, this desire for perfection. And uh, that's a little what drove me then later in years was this desire for perfection perfection that I, I wanted this ideal family that I, I never got to have, that, that was like, like robbed from me somehow. Well, so my then attempt to have my own family doesn't, doesn't fare much better. It gets off to a rocky start again. There's again a pregnancy that leads to marriage and I am filled with shame and I'm overoccupied with responsibilities uh, that, that, that uh, right, it's just all about hitting the ground running and being a father and having to, to, to get a really good job that supports everybody financially and it's, it's all about that and there's really not a lot of time 
for fun and not a lot of time for relationship building. And it's just really difficult. Um, never really had time at the beginning of the marriage to work on that typical husband and wife stuff that you would. Things got bad there. And the fact that I couldn't express or talk about it, I had to be self-reliant, leads to a mask of secrecy. And brewing underneath of all that for years and years then is all this childhood trauma and, and pride and that self-reliance and, and fear of loss, which is why I have to hide things and not get the help I needed. And just, you know, years ago it eventually exploded and, and I lost the illusion. I lost the family. A divorce and destroyed it all. And I got to tell you, from birth until just recently, I would be the first one to stand in line and say there is no ideal family. I tried it. I tried my very best to have it, to find it. And that was part of the problem, right? I was trying. But the point is that every family is broken. And I, I know it's easy to uh, think then as we look at the Bible that the Bible shows life how we're supposed to be living. And you look at the Bible families and it's like all these people are mentioned in Scripture because they, they know how to get it right with God. And, and somehow then in my life I fall short or, or deficient. And we make our Bible characters into these larger-than-life heroes um, because that's why they're in the Bible, right? But again, there, there's no perfect family. And I want to go back as we dive into Scripture to kind of help us deal with this question of the ideal or not ideal family. The three of the most, well, three of the very first families that we find in Scripture in the book of Genesis who are like the foundational families for Judaism and, and then Christianity. And that's the families that, that there's three generations of family there with Abraham and Sarah is the first generation. And then Isaac and Rebekah is the second generation. Isaac's their, their son. And then they have some twins, Jacob and Esau. And I got to tell you, they were not a perfect family. <laughs> not by any stretch. Man, if you really read, and, and everything I'm going to be sharing in their stories comes from actually from Genesis chapters 12 through 50. And uh, starting with the first generation, with Abraham and Sarah, they were told that she was going to have a kid, but she wasn't able to have children. But God had told her, you're going you're gonna to be able to have a son. And, and, and through your son, you're going to be able to, your, your, your lineage and your family, your family line is going to grow so large, you won't even be able to count them. And that through them, the whole world is going to get blessed. There's this huge promise and blessing that God has given Abraham and Sarah. But it requires a son. It requires a family. And uh, they're like, well, Sarah's like, I can't have kids. How's this all going to work? Well, they decide to take matters into their own hands, like we often do. <laughs> and uh, she takes her handmaiden, Hagar, and gives her handmaiden to Abraham and says, why don't you sleep with her? And then the son that you two have can be that heir. So he's like, fine with me. Off they, you know, like... Like I guess, you know, I, I don't know what's going on there. He agrees and they have a son and his name is Ishmael. And they think this is it. But God comes along and says, no, no, that's not what it is. That's Ishmael is not that person. You guys have done your thing, not my thing. And uh, as Ishmael got older, Hagar, because she was able to produce a son, an heir for Abraham, began to mock and ridicule Sarah. So, so now things just get really complicated and difficult and 
And uh, the relationships just begin to break down to the point where Hagar is told to leave. You've got to take Ishmael and go. And so now the family, or what the semblance of this family breaks. Well, they eventually do have a son, Isaac. He gets married and they have a couple of twins named Jacob and Esau. These two twins, man, these boys fight like crazy. If you've ever had boys um, or, or two siblings close in age, they can really get into it at times. And Jacob and Esau were very different from each other. And uh, Jacob, part of his personality quirks, he was a deceiver. Well, he deceived his brother Esau to the point that Jacob tricks his father into giving him the inheritance. Although it should have been Esau's because he was technically the younger, older twin. I gotta tell you that Esau was out for blood. And so now Esau wants to kill Jacob and Jacob has to run for his life. Talk about a, a broken family. The second generation is almost even worse. Um, and once again, fractures because of sin and dishonesty and brokenness right in the middle of all of it. And then you get to the third generation and there's the, the Jacob and the, the younger, right? Has a couple of wives and a bunch of kids. Well, one of his children, one of his youngest is Joseph. And uh, Joseph shows favorites, right? He plays favoritism to this younger son. Messed up. And uh, his brothers are so angry at him. At some point, they want to actually kill their brother. But instead of doing that, they sell him into slavery. This is a broken family from start to finish. Every generation is struggling. Every generation, you see signs of, of tension and strife and fighting. And, and uh, even with Joseph, you know, they sold him into slavery. Not only did they just sell him into slavery, but they took his coat and smeared it with, with blood. Um, from one of, the, one of the goats, and then they took it to their father and actually said, now nah, he's dead, right? And Joseph's gone, and for all intents and purposes, he's gonna be gone and lost forever. This is one messed up family. I get it. You know, as I look at that story, as a story of a broken family, I get it. I come from a broken family. And if we're honest, we all come from broken, messy families. There is stuff in all of our families that even, even in other generations that we can point to and say, yeah, that, that's a mess. Back some of our need for want to see the ideal family or to try to strive really hard to make that is because we see the brokenness of maybe a, the generation before us or the one before that. And we're like, not me, man. I'm not gonna be that way. But we just deceive ourselves. We all come from families and we all are in families with histories of brokenness and sin. Mm. Well, we, we, there is good in families, right? It's not like everything's bad. It's not like everything's broke. It's not like everything falls apart. There is some good. And that's the stuff that, that as I have learned and understand it, that, that we try to hide behind, right? The, the, the parts of our family are good. That's the stuff we put on social media. That's the stuff I put on you know, Instagram or the stuff that we make TikTok videos about because that's what I want everybody to see. Look how cool our family is. Look at these great vacations we take, all of that. But, but the brokenness and sin, it's still there. We just don't post about it. We just don't advertise it. And that's the divide. We often see God in the good, right? Hashtag blessed as we put all our posts together. We have a difficult time finding God in the brokenness and the sin. 
So the question then in today's idea, right, the theology of family is, is there hope for my family? Is there hope for your family? Well, yeah. I mean, there is good news here. There is hope for every family because God is in the middle of all of the brokenness and sin. Man, he does not get afraid. He does not fret and worry. He doesn't run, turn, and hide. It's not like, oh, man, I can't look at this. Man, I got I to gotta go, man. This, good luck with all that, you know, to every family when, when that st stuff all begins to happen. God is actively there in the middle of the families for us for, to be found and to work. So let's look at that. And let's go back and look at our families and see where is God there? How is God working in all of that? So the first idea here is that God wants to strengthen the good with Abraham, Sarah, Ishmael, Isaac, that whole mess. God wants to strengthen what was good in Abraham. You see, years before that, Abraham left his family to follow God. Abraham left by faith saying, okay, God, I don't know where you're taking me, but I'm going to trust you. And so he left by faith. He, he's like, Let's just go figure this out, and God, I'll just follow you. But, but he, he, it, was, it wasn't a strong trust. It was just enough, a seed of faith that was there to be able to leave and follow. But through all of the family brokenness, God was there to help Abraham's faith, his trust in him, grow stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger. And, and when Isaac is finally born, it's like, God's like, I, see, I told you, I had you. And it's all good. Even when they excommunicated Hagar and removed her from the family and told her she's, she's got to go make a life of her own, she, she figured she was dead. She had prepared for her and uh, Ishmael to die. But an angel came and said, now we're going to make sure that you live. In fact, Ishmael will have a great lineage, uh, a great inheritance ahead of him. So God takes care and was right there to take care of and strengthen not only Abraham and his faith, but also Hagar. God wants to strengthen the good. What's good in your family? And, and have you asked God, or how does God then maybe leverage that to make your family go even further into your faith in him? Well, let's go to another idea here, and that's that God wants to restore the broken and the struggling. Jacob and Esau are at odds, and they're, they've, they are living, you know, far, far, far apart because Jacob has fled for his life. But at one point then, as Jacob is older and has a family of his own, thinks, I, I want to reconnect with my roots. I want to reconnect with my brother. So he takes a risk, not even knowing if Esau's even going to welcome him back or still wants to kill him. And he journeys back to his home. And there Esau is to come out to meet him. And they embrace and they reconcile and their relationship that was so broken is restored see God is there to restore the broken and the struggling when that relationship with a spouse looks like it can't go another day when that relationship with a child is, is fraught with so much frustration you've just had it up to here with um finances or because of a lost job and the stress that comes into a family that can break it down. There's just all sorts of things that, that are there that, that can 
that can break. And that's the stuff that God's like, if you look to me, I want to be able to restore that. And just like the reconciliation of Jacob and Esau, we find that with God's help, we can come to a place where God restores all the things that we're struggling with. It's going to be a lifelong journey. You know, it's not going to happen. And then our family is perfect. Remember, there's no perfect family. But God is the God of restoration. He's also a God who wants to redeem what sin has destroyed. Where Joseph's brothers had, 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 had sold him into slavery. Uh, basically, that's, that's the worst of all kinds of cutoff. Like that person is no longer in the family. It's been destroyed. That relationship is no more. And uh, what's going to happen there? How do, how do they get along? It broke his father's heart to see his favorite son, uh, um, in, in his mind, killed. But that's, that's what happens is that, that eventually, if, if God is still a part of the family, if, if we can look to him, we'll talk about that in a minute, God's going to bring about some redemption. He's going to purchase back is what that word means. He's going to redeem it and, and, and something good is going to come out of what has been destroyed. Out of the ashes of the destruction, the fire that you've had to walk through, God is going to do something amazing. For Joseph, he did. For, for Joseph, he becomes... Uh, through a whole bunch of ordeals, second in command of all of the nation of Egypt after Pharaoh. And at some point with the, when there was a famine, his brothers needed to go and get food from Joseph. And in this incredible story, we see how Joseph reveals himself and reconciles himself to his brothers. Now, Joseph at this point is Egyptian. He's still lost to the family. Joseph never becomes one of the 12 tribes of Israel. He, he's, that brokenness is still there, although he's not dead, he is alive. But the family moves to Egypt and he cares for them and he takes care of them and he provides for them and he makes sure that the famine isn't gonna have an adverse effect on, on this third generation. And, and that's, that's the goodness of God. He is a redeemer. That's God saying, I'm gonna bring something amazing. In fact, something more than amazing out of what was so devastating and destroying. And sometimes in our family, I, I know in mine, through the, the divorce, I would just be like, I don't see anything good coming out of this. But even today, God has started to, to show me that he still has a plan, that he still can bring good things about in, in my life and in the life of my daughters and in, to the life of uh, my ex-wife, Denise, and to everybody's life, uh, he's going to do that work. I feel that promise. He's going to redeem. Joseph says these words so eloquently, or states this idea so really well, as we look at the very last chapter, some of the very last verses, as the, the whole story of these families wraps up and says this in Genesis chapter 50, verses 19 to 21. It says, but Joseph replied, don't be afraid of me. I am God. Oh, am I God that I can punish you? Uh, what had happened was his brothers had, um, his dad had died. So the brothers were afraid, hey, with our dad dead, he's going he's gonna to finally reach out and kill us. 
because he's got all this power. And he's like, no, no, I'm not going to punish you. He says here in verse 20, you intended to do me harm, but God, catch this, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. No, don't be afraid. I will continue to take care of you and your children. And he reassured them by speaking kindly. See, that's the deal. God intends for good in our families. God intends for good with every member, not just you, not just your kid, not just a mom or a dad, but for those who look to him, he is there. Paul, the apostle Paul in the New Testament reiterates this concept in Romans chapter eight. He, he, he says it this way, this idea. He says, this is what the spirit is saying for the spirit pleads for us, in a, us believers in harmony with his own will. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for those who love him. For God knew his people in advance and he chose them to become like his son so that his son would be among the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Love, again, family language that Paul is using here to talk about his church. And he says, man, he is gonna work all the things that the spirit of God wants to do in us and do in our families, all that good that God intends, he is gonna work to bring that about for those who are called according to his purpose, for those who are looking for it, for those who are stepping into it. God is always in the messiness of family. So a couple of things that I, I just wanna remind us about here as we can wrap this time up. Number one, our greatest opportunity is to move towards God in the middle of it all. When everything starts to crunch, when everything starts to close in, when everything begins to crash, when we're having all the tension and all the stress and the relationships are at breaking points, this is an opportunity for us to see our stuff, for us to look at our pain and our brokenness and our sin and to let God into our stuff. No more hiding, no more ignoring, no more just looking at the good and hoping the other stuff goes away, no more wishful thinking. We get the opportunity then to get help with our stuff and that we get the chance to find a way to live life with God with others. I gotta tell you, here at Converge, as I have gotten to know the families here, I know that there are many of us who are living testimonies to the fact that we will walk through, that God has people to walk through messes with us. Sometimes churches disengage when a family hits the messiness. Right? We'll, we'll, we'll be with somebody up to the point that, well, we're going to get divorced. Then we disengage as the church until after the divorce, and then we go, well, let me help you recover. But, but I think that there's a family here that no matter what we walk through, that there are brothers and sisters in Jesus that will help us either find God to strengthen our family, to restore our family, or to redeem it. And we can walk and heal and transform and grow and mature together. Here's the second thing. Our greatest blessing is when we work with God in the middle of it all. See, God's present in all the mess but I have to want to cooperate with him. So it's like, do I, do I tech, talk to God and say, God, just take this storm, make it go away. I want the problem to go away. Or do I say, God, use this storm. 
Do, do I say, God, change this other person because they're so irritating and it's not functioning and they're destroying our family? Or do I say, God, change me? So you see, when I come together and cooperate with the Spirit of God, then man, that, that can change everything. And that's what this is all about, really. This, this idea of family, God is, God is in it all and wants it, wants it to succeed, to work all things together for good. Well, since it's Father's Day, I just have one little thing for men here as we kind of wrap this up. First of all, men, we don't always have to be strong. I know we feel that way, but sometimes it's, it's okay to admit, I don't know, I, I am weak, I can't do this. We don't always have to have the answers. There are many times I'm like, I, I just don't know. I've got to figure this out. God's going to have to help me know. We don't always have to get it right. Can I be a guy who goes and says, man, I, I screwed this up. I am sorry. And we don't, we don't have, but, but knowing that there's all these points of weakness for me, what, what makes it good is because in my weakness, even though I am weak, God is strong. And so then we can go to the one who is strong. We can go to the one who has the answers. We can go to the one who always gets it right. Our heavenly Father, God. See, for me, I know that I am growing into knowing God as my Father better than ever. Matt, it is great. And so I, I am I'm just, with all my brokenness, the only way that I can stand here today and even talk about this idea is because I am growing into knowing God as better than ever. As my Father, better than ever. And I am growing in how I allow my spiritual family, all of you in this room, to help me with my natural family. So, let's be like Jesus. Walk through the middle of everything. Let's look for him in the middle of it all. Let's cooperate with him in the middle of it all. Take advantage of every opportunity for us to transform. Let's pray with hope. And let's believe for strength. I'd like to go through a prayer for your family here just to close. Let me agree in prayer for these three topics, okay? God, I pray that for everyone here and their family, that where they are doing well, where there is the good in the family, that you would strengthen that, that you would come along beside that and make that work well. And may that be a foundational piece that everything can then work upon. And then God, I pray for those who need restored where there is brokenness, where things are not working, where there is stress and strife, God, would you restore them? Could they look to you for the opportunity to work with you for restoration? God, marriages that are struggling, put them together. Where kids and parents are not cooperating and there's, there's friction, God, would you, would, you see, would you help them see you to, uh, and, and cooperate with you to a place where they can begin to see healing uh, happen and, and reconciliation happen. God, I pray for those where everything's been destroyed, where it's been a wreck, and where there still might be places where you are working to redeem. God, do that work, we pray. God, we thank you for families. We thank you you care about and love every family. And we give our lives over to you in your precious name. Amen. <laughs>